the cross before you, my hope on things above. And in you, Jesus, the best is yet to come. Sing your presence. Your presence is an open door. We want you, Lord, like But how many of us need a breakthrough? Come on, let me see your hands. Don't be shy. How many of you need God to do a breakthrough in something in your life? Look around. Almost everyone's hand is raised. So, Father, right now we come to you in that name that is above every name. The name that every knee shall bow, every problem shall bow, every circumstance shall bow, every opportunity that's blocked in front of us shall bow. And, God, we ask that you would do what you say in your word, that you will do exceedingly, abundantly, above what we imagine or ask. And God, some of us are asking for supernatural things, things that, that seem impossible. God, you are the God of the impossible. All right, you know what? Mama and Daddy are here this morning. We missed you last week, so we're gonna double up today. But I felt, as Pastor David came up here, he said, you're gonna beat me too, because I was picking up the mic. And I said, no, you go, go ahead. So he went, he's prayed over you. But I feel that there's some of you that you're holding on to a promise, and the Lord is gonna bring that promise into fruition within the next few weeks. I really feel that way. Actually, I feel like this week, I just felt that way. I felt like some of you, you're going to have a birthing of what you've had faith for. You're having a birthing of what you've had faith for. Some of you, it's a job. Some of you, it's a yes to something you've requested. It's a yes. So you've put out your request and the person is considering it and it's coming back as a yes. The Lord, I don't know what that means to you. I'm just, I'm just downloading what he's telling me. The Lord is saying, I want you to believe, but you know what? He's also saying, and he's working on this right now with you. I want you to be a testifier of what I do. Some of us, we just hold it back. 
God does great. We tell about the problem, but we don't tell about the solution. We tell about the ache and the pain, but we don't tell about the healing. We tell about the need, but we don't tell about the provision. And we got to change that climate. We got to change that environment in our spirit. We got to be people who proclaim what God has done. And you know how that begins? We start proclaiming it before we see it. By faith, I see a miracle. By faith, now the Lord, just like, it just reminds me of the story where Jesus puts the mud on the eyes of the man. And then you know what he tells him to do? Go outside of the city and wash. He's not healed yet. Do you imagine? He's walking outside of the city. I'm going to go wash. Wash my eyes because Jesus said it. Do you get it? By faith, I'm walking out of the city with the mud on my eyes because Jesus said I'm healed. Some of you, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I'm going to believe. Some of you, this Lord says, you're going to knock again on the door. Oh, this is what the Lord says. Lord says, go back to the door and knock again. Don't take the no. Oh, wow. Holy Spirit. I've done this before, so I'm telling you. Go back. Man's no does not trump God's yes. That's what he says. Do you hear me? Man's no does not trump God's yes. And the reason why I allowed man's no is so that you would exercise your faith. And so that you would know that this is from me. That the open door is not a man door. It's not a favor from man door. It is a God door. It is a God thing for you. So that as you progress through the door, you know that your steps are ordered by the Lord. And you know that there is a purpose beyond what you first thought it was. There is a divine purpose. There is an anointing. There is a power. And there's an obedience that you will have to do what God has spoken to you because you know it's the God door that is open. Come on, that's a word for somebody. Woo, Holy Spirit. By faith, I believe, I see the miracle. I am like that blind man that you have touched, you have put your, your hands on, you have put your spit on, you have mixed it with the earth, you have put it on my eyes, and I walk into the pool of Siloam. I walk by faith, I see a miracle. Before I see it, I see it. I see the miracle. I see it as I walk to the pool of Siloam and wash those eyes, and then I I see it in the physical after I have walked the journey of faith to the pole of Siloam. Come on. Yes. I know. I know. Breakthrough yes. is yes. coming. This is the word of the Lord from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. Now faith is the assurance, the title deed and the confirmation of things hoped for divinely guaranteed and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of the reality. Faith comprehends as fact 
what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. So some of you are saying, I don't see how this is going to happen in the physical because it's happening in the spiritual. Faith is the activation of what we can't see. Faith is seeing what we don't see in front of us, but knowing there is a God who is providing. So right now, if you need that, raise your hands. Lord, we ask supernaturally. We don't even know how you're going to do it. But God, your ways confound the wise of the world. And Lord, we ask that supernaturally you would infuse us with divine faith to believe what your word says for our circumstance and situation. But Lord, when it happens, we're not going to be like that shy person. We're not going to stand back in the corner and, and just say, oh, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Lord, we're going to proclaim it from the rooftops. We're going to declare the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So, Father, right now, we just release faith in a supernatural faith in you and in what you're doing through us. And we're going to sing this song right now as a declaration of what it says right here, where it says it is the divinely guaranteed conviction of the reality. So, Lord, right now, we release that in the precious name of Jesus. Pastor Rebecca, lead us. to contend for his kingdom to come in our lives as we raise our faith, as we fix our eyes on the king that is seated on the throne. 
continue to believe and speak it out speak out in faith against disbelief
Shake off despair as I sing out your name. A victory dance, I will dance out and dance. I will crush disappointment and break every chain. All of my fear, I will turn into praise. Shake off despair as I sing out Woo! your name. A victory dance, I will dance out and praise. I will crush disappointment and break every chain. All of my fear, I will turn into praise. Shake off the stir as I sing out your name. A victory dance, I will dance out in praise. I will crush disappointment and break every chain. All of my fear, I will turn into praise. Shake off the stir as I sing out your name. A victory dance, I will dance out in faith. I will crush disappointment and break Show me one thing he can't do. Show me a mountain he can't move. He's the God of the breakthrough. Anything is possible. Show me one thing that's too hard. Show me waters he can't part. He's the God of the breakthrough. Anything is possible. Is possible. Never a battle he hasn't won. Sing, show me. Show me one thing he can't do. Show me a mountain he can't move. He's the God of the breakthrough, and anything is possible. I believe. Show me one thing that's true. Nothing. Show me waters he can't part. He's the God of the breakthrough. Anything is possible, is possible.
Now, what we're going to do, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's just pounding this. If we we got to be in la-la land if we're not getting the message. I mean, even the most thick-headed people today is going to get the message of what the Lord is trying to say. I want to do a miracle. I, will you let me? Let me in. Come on, get the faith in this room. Come on, with all the faith in this room, miracles are going to happen. Yeah. Now, right now, I'm not praying. You gather with two or three right now, and you believe God. Share a one-clip share. Say, I need a house. Say, I need a job. Say, I need a healing. Say, I need a provision. Say, whatever it may be. I need a reconciliation. Whatever it may be, I want you to say it in a clip. And then you believe God and pray one for another right now. Go, go. Worship team, go ahead and sing this song as they pray. You said, you said Lord, I, I believe it. You said, you said it, God. It is done. You said, I believe it. You said, it is done. You said, it. I believe it. Come on, exercise your faith right now. You said, it is done. You said, it. I believe it. You said, it. it is done. Move the immovable. He's doing it. The unbreakable. He's doing it. God, we believe. He wants to do it. God, we
song. It says that you said, I believe. How many of you have had children that when you said, we're going to go get ice cream, that's all they could think of? That's right. You know, our daughter, if you want our daughter to do something, we tell her, hey, let's stop and get a coffee on the way. And she's there early. I mean, she's usually lagging behind, if you know our daughter, right? But if you tell her you're going to stop for a coffee on the, on the way, she's always, she's the first one out the door. Come on, let's go. And let's go. Well, you know what that is? That's simple faith. And sometimes we overcomplicate the relationship we have with God. He said it. I believe it. Amen. It is done. Amen. Amen. Why don't we uh, greet one another, say hello to someone, give someone some love, give them a hug. Don't you love the body of Christ? I tell you. It is so good to see you all. Uh, before we uh, get into the announcements, I want to pray for someone. Emily informed me that she's moving to Sacramento. Emily's back in our uh, tech booth back there. She got a great job up in the Folsom School District, and she's going to be relocating, and so... We need to change the name of this church from Crossroads to stay here, you know? <laughs> but uh, Emily, she, she's too shy. She didn't want to come up. But I don't know if mom and dad, you want to get back and pray with her, lay hands on her. And uh, Randy, we're going to pray for her. Uh, we're trading you for your sister right here. So, Lord, right now, just extend a hand towards Emily. Father, we thank you for this godly young woman that has been such a blessing to our congregation. And Lord, we thank you that you have called her to be a teacher. And that, Lord, I pray that you would use her in that school district to bring the love of Christ and the educational value into the lives of the children and the families that she's going to be serving, Lord. And, Lord, we pray blessing upon her. We thank you so much that, Lord, we're not losing her. We're just lending her. And we're extending our community from the Bay Area to Sacramento. And I pray for Emily that, Lord, you'll... Help her to plug into a great church in that area, Lord. You'll help her to be a witness for Christ in everywhere she goes, not just in her workplace, but in her social life and with her boyfriend and all the friends that she has that she's going to be making up there with her, her co-teachers, Lord. We ask that she would just be the light of Jesus Christ everywhere she goes. And Lord, we just send her forth with blessing and with the praise of God wrapped around her, Lord. Give her protection, give her guidance, give her wisdom, but mostly, Lord, give her favor as she does your work in training young people in the things that they need to learn. 
in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, hey, we're glad you're here with us this morning. How many of you got two newsletters this week? Okay, that's for the ones you missed. Okay. <laughs> uh, we had set one up before we went away on, uh, on vacation, and uh, we forgot. My wife told me, I thought I wrote something up. I'm like, no, you didn't. Yes, dear, you were right. That, I, that was something I should have learned at the marriage thing if you were at the marriage conference, right? Um, but anyway, uh, if you don't get our newsletter, uh, give us your email address. We don't share that information. It just gives you a weekly update of what's going on. And uh, one of the things we did when we got home on Thursday, I opened up my email and we got a notification on the trip to Israel. So the trip to Israel is on. The price was actually raised a little bit. I, I contacted the, the uh, travel agency that we're using and they said basically international travel has just gone up. It's just, uh, and I know that for a fact because we were planning our trip to Poland. By the time we started with our first ticket and by the time we got our last ticket, the prices went up $400 while we're online booking tickets. So uh, that's the price. We'll have a, a informational meeting in uh, th uh, probably by the end of this month. I'm waiting for another church that uh, is interested in joining with us. I'm gonna talk to them and, and let them know. But if you're interested in going to Israel, it's May 21st through May 30th. It's basically, I won't say all-inclusive, it includes everything but lunch. And uh, airfare, transportation, housing, where everything's taken care of. Uh, and uh, it'll be a great trip. Pastor Lynn and I will be hosting it, and we'll be going to a bunch of sites, and I'll be sending out an email this week with all the locations and where we're going uh, in the newsletter. So if you want to know more information, you can do that. Uh, then we have uh, on the 28th at 8 p.m., we're having our uh, quarterly Tongues of Fire service that will be partnering with our global partners. Uh, it's going to be exciting. Uh, the reason it's so late is because it's early for them. They're halfway around the world, so uh, we're going to have that service, and it's going to be a great time. Uh, and then, you know, this morning I was, I was sitting in my office, and I heard a, I heard a baby that I didn't think cried cry. I, I thought he was perfect. But, you know, we have another baby that's here. Look at this beautiful picture of Malcolm. Isn't he adorable? Don't you just want to kiss him? Just kiss him until your lips are sore. Uh, he is just beautiful. He was born June 18th, uh, 8 pounds, 8 ounces, 22 inches long. Yeah, baby. There's grandma and grandpa and great-grandma, great-grandpa, aunties and uncles. You know, they'll sign autographs later. Hey, uh, we have one thing that's uh, coming up after service. We're having communion today, just so you know. Uh, we'll be serving communion at the end of service. But then after service today... Uh, we started a tradition a few years back. We'll be having ice cream cones, a free ice cream cone for... Yeah. <laughs> settle down, settle down. A free ice cream cone for everyone after service. If you want to order up, they'll just take... So if you want to get a banana split, they'll take the price of an ice cream cone off your banana split. You could pay the difference, but we're buying everyone an ice cream cone, okay? Uh, it's after service. They'll be parked out there. Saw some cones in the in the parking lot. Uh, just a way to celebrate summer. And uh, if you go in line twice, we won't mind, okay? Okay, I was waiting for the... Hey, our ministry partners, could you not live stream this for a second? Can we not put that picture up? Okay. Um, don't put their picture up then. Uh, live stream, we have ministry partners to the Middle East. Uh, it's in your bulletin, but uh, due to sensitivity issues, we, they don't want their uh, video online. Uh, pray for them. They're great people. If you didn't get a bulletin, grab one. Uh, and uh, we want to pray for them. Uh, they're a great family. They're actually home 
uh, raising some additional support right now. And uh, they're a great uh, couple, and uh, God bless them. Um, and then our young professional ministries. We have a ministry to young professionals here. It's a great way to socialize. Pastor Nick and Rebecca coordinate that, and they do a great job uh, just integrating the young folks uh, in our ministry and give opportunities for them to get networked, okay? And then I have a praise report. You know, uh, I think Mike Cameron, Mike Cameron said a, a, a couple months ago, he's one thing about Pastor Lynn, she knows how to raise money. Well, guess what, church? You did it. We actually, if you put up the slide, we have raised all the funds to pay for the first church we're going to build in Bangladesh. And uh, Sister Selena, the woman between Pastor Shelley and Pastor Lynn there in the orange, uh, she is a convert from Islam. She pastors two churches. We raised all the money to buy the land and to build her a church. And so that is uh, exciting to see what God is doing. And uh, we are thankful to the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? Just think about it. We get to build a church for a first-generation congregation in a Muslim country. Isn't that exciting? That's, that's amazing. And so I wanted to share that with you. God is so good. I want to thank you also for your tithes and offerings. Uh, you can give uh, online if you're watching online. We, uh, if you're watching online, you'll notice the video is a little different. We had some technical difficulties, and we had to uh, uh, improvise for this Sunday, but we'll try to get that fixed as soon as possible. You can give through Zelle. You can give through PayPal. You can mail it in if you need tithe envelopes. Uh, we can mail those to you. Just let us know. Uh, but the usher is going to come and wait upon us for our tithes and offerings. I want to encourage you to be faithful to God because you will not regret it. God will always bless the cheerful giver. And so, Lord, right now, we just thank you for the praise report that all the offerings that we needed to bless the nation of Bangladesh has come in. And so, Lord, we bless our giving. We bless our tithes. We bless our offerings. We bless every ministry that we support, Lord. May they be more than enough to do the work that they're called to do. And may, Lord, we be cheerful in giving. May we not do it out of compulsion. Lord, may we not do it because we feel forced into it, but may we do it as a, as a sacrifice to you, Lord. And Lord, we bless this offering. I bless each and every gift, each and every giver. Lord, I bless the, the, the church and the board and the pastoral team that we, we would use these resources in a way that's honoring you, that, Lord, there would be an extension of our ministry globally in what we do, Father. And we bless this offering now in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you as you give. Move the immovable, break the unbreakable. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we Wow, we could go home right now, but we're not. Okay. <laughs> You're all, all right, let's go. Let's go get the ice cream. I'm out of here. No, you got a word today. Let me just say something about uh, giving. Because I do like to ask for you to give, and I don't do it for any other reason other than the Holy Spirit has asked me to do that, so I'm going to do it. But 
Scripture tells us that we don't have to give in a compulsive way, meaning feeling obligated, um, like forced. And I want you to know that, you know, Scripture shows us, you know, the story of the boy with the two fish and five loaves. If you all know that story, he gave what he had. A lot of times you think, well, I don't have much to give, so I, I'm not going to give towards that. Because look at how much money that needs. To, and I can only give a little bit. You know what? The Lord just says, give what you have and I'll multiply it. I've learned this over my life. Now, some of you have small lunches. Some of you have real small lunches. Others of you have big lunches. Why are you all so quiet right now? And, you know, the Lord knows what kind of lunch you got because he gave it to you, by the way. And I just want you to know that in this house, the giving flow is a beautiful thing because this house is favored and blessed by God because we are entrusted with giving. We're entrusted with that. We're entrusted with giving so that the nations hear the gospel and so that his kingdom is furthered. And then what does he do? He blesses this house. He causes more to come back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. Do not be afraid to give if the Lord is telling you to give. Not, not Pastor Lynn telling you to give. Not Pastor David. Not somebody else. The Holy Spirit telling you to give. Amen? And you know what? You're going to see incredible things happen. It was funny because... Um, there's moments where I get in the flesh and I get a little worried about some things. And I was a little worried about this, this church being built because we've done a lot. And we just finished the Nepal church, which is quite a feat to do that. And then we we're on the heels of that doing this Bangladesh church. I'm like, oh, you know. And then it's like, and then every time we were going to talk about it, something got interrupted. Every time, almost every time. I was like, oh, I'm, I was going to try to, you know, encourage people and highlight again. And every time it got interrupted. And, and while I was on my vacation in um, Utah, how, how many of you ever been to Utah to the five national parks? If you've been there, you'll know that there's not a lot of guardrails, by the way. Not a lot of guardrails. <laughs> So faith is built while you're there. <laughs> I'm serious. There is some faith being built in me. I'm all like, you know, there's no guardrails. There's children running all over the place, you know. So, so while I was, uh, you know, talking with the Lord on the cliff, um, I was like, you know, Lord, I'm a little bit, you know, concerned about this church in Bangladesh because we're going to go there in February. We really like to dedicate it. You know, it doesn't look like the money's really coming in. We never give the money until it comes in. We don't take from something else. We are integrous for that. So I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm a little, and Lord's all, don't worry about it. And I'm like, but Lord, I'm, you know, I'm just talking with you about this. Don't worry about it. Why are you worried about it? It's not about you. It's not, you know. So while I'm gone, it comes in. While I'm gone, I didn't even need to be here. And it came in. The Lord's all, see, I, I don't need you to get up there and tell anything. My Holy Spirit can actually talk to people. Amen, Pastor Lynn. Thank you, Lord, for not letting Pastor David and Pastor Lynn fall off the cliffs. But we went to all five parks because we are type A. All five parks in a matter of six days, six, yeah, about six days. And um, we hiked in one week. The entire, more hiking in one week than we've done all year long. So that was awesome. It was a lot of fun, but my faith was built. 
How about you? Your faith built over the last couple weeks? Amen. We're going to talk about loving God's righteousness. The righteousness of God. Scripture says, Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness, not our own righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Everything that you need. Things that are important even for your survival. All these things shall be added unto you. But the added things... The added things are not what we seek. Let me just say that again. Why is it one reason why I feel like the Holy Spirit has urged me to speak about the righteousness of God? There's a few dynamics here. But one is this, that added things can be what the believer begins to seek after a while. They get off seeking the kingdom first and his righteousness because they become blessed people. And then they alter or focus their thoughts and drive towards the added things. And that's a modern day trend in spirituality. That we like the added things. But Jesus says in this scripture, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. It's interesting because I was just listening to a worship song. I like to send Rebecca worship songs, you know, um, to, for this house, and I pray over them. And, you know, she and I collaborate on that a lot. And um, I was listening to this one song, and it was all about seeking his kingdom. I was like, oh, this sounds good, seeking his kingdom, yeah. But they left out his righteousness. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Because his kingdom has lots of benefits. Has lots of benefits, lots of blessings. Heaven comes down. Glory of God. But what about his righteousness? Right moral standing. The character of Christ dwelling in us. See, see, in our culture right now, and I'm talking specifically about our even what we call Christian culture. I put it in quotes because it's not quite Christian. Is that people want the benefits of the kingdom of God. But they don't want his righteousness. They don't want the internal righteousness. They want the good things of the kingdom. They want it in the lives of their own life and in the lives of others, the lives of their surroundings. But they don't want the internal change that the righteousness of God does in our lives. That internal change. And that is the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. See, that's His ways. His priorities, his values, his thoughts, his decisions, penetrating into every area of our lives. That's what Jesus was talking about. So when I talk about his kingdom, I, I um, was watching a documentary recently. I'm not going to highlight the name of it because I don't know if I want you to watch it. But it was about a cult and uh, a cult and the dynamics of a cult. Um, and a cult generally takes scripture and abuses it, right? It takes scripture and it misuses it. And it, cause, it uses it to dominate and to control other people. See, that's what cults do. And it's, it's from having a religious spirit. There's something called a religious spirit. 
And I was thinking about it, and I heard uh, a gifted leader, one of the gifted leaders in our uh, charismatic Pentecostal movement, talk about what a religious spirit is. And he defined it in a really great way. And it, he said that it's when we use God's word, whether it be prophetic, meaning rhema word, or logos, written word, to accomplish our own will. I want, I want to say that again. Because that, it's very important that we don't do that. Even on the most micro level in our lives. Over our children. Over, you know, any sort of leadership we have in our marriage. And scripture tells us, you know, that's not what we're supposed to do. It's not about our will. But that's what cults do. Okay? They use the word of God. They manipulate the word of God. To accomplish the will of man. Beware of that. The other thing about, and this has to do with seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. See, Because that's not righteous, is it? It's selfishness. It's domination. The other part is the spirituality, kind of the loosey-goosey spirituality of the world, of our culture, that you, Jesus isn't the only way. You can add all kinds of things to your spirituality, but we do like some of the things of the kingdom of God that we want to add. And you know what that's called? That's called syncretism in cross-cultural studies and theological kind of uh, studies. When we take the word of God and then we add things into the mix of the word of God, or more likely, we subtract things. We cherry pick. I like this. I don't like that. I like this. I like this about the righteousness of God, but I don't like this. See, Pastor Dave and I like to call it Build-A-Bear Christianity. Have you ever been to a Build-A-Bear store? Very expensive, by the way. Go to another store and just buy a teddy bear, right? But you go, I want a nurse. So I go in, I want a nurse. You know, it's going to cost me, I don't know, how much? 75 bucks for a bear that looks like a nurse. But I pick and choose what I like on this bear. We call it Build-A-Bear. I pick and choose so that that Christianity is comfortable to me. It's comfortable to me. See, but the thing is this about his righteousness, his righteousness. The whole point of his righteousness in our lives is to be a change agent for our lives. Right? His change agent. I love his righteousness. That's what I want you to get out of this message is not that I resist or it's a, it's a misery for the Holy Spirit's work in my life, his righteousness, Christ's righteousness given to me. It's not a misery. It is a privilege. It is a privilege. So I love his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. One of the things that the enemy wants to do, I think I'm going to go off my notes today. I don't know why. Uh, the enemy wants to do is for you not to seek his righteousness. Because his righteousness, I'm going to get into this in a little bit, is powerful in your lives. So, because the Lord has set up for you as a result of his cross and his resurrection for you to be victorious. For you to be an overcomer. For it not to be a fair fight for you. By the way, first conference, 2024. 
The theme, I'm just giving you a little commercial, not a fair fight. That's the theme. Not a fair fight. If it feels like the enemy has more power, if it feels like it is kind of like an equal fight, there's something wrong. Because Jesus has set it up for you for it not to be a fair fight. He has given to you everything you need, and the enemy's fight is not with you. It was with Christ, and he lost, by the way, big time. But if you think it's between you and him, the enemy and you, you know what it is? You're trying to do it in your own righteousness. Some of you, you can leave right now. Go, I got to work that out. The way I think, I try to live out my Christian life with my own righteousness. And therefore, I'm always feeling like the enemy has went over on me. But the truth is this, he doesn't because it isn't your righteousness, it's his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are literally, don't you love this? I am, my identity is the righteousness of God. I am that. I don't just wear it. I don't just say, do I want to be that? Now, as a believer, because I receive what Christ did in my life, I am the righteousness of God. Now, what is righteousness? Well, it's the quality of being morally right or justified. Biblically, it's being realigned from our crooked standards and lined up according to God's perfect standards. See, the truth is this. We are incapable of lining up to God's standards, and this is why Jesus went to the cross. We could not be righteous. We could not be perfectly righteous in ourselves. No one could be perfectly righteous in themselves. Now, I went to college. You all know that we have all kinds of degrees. You don't need a degree to be a powerful Christian, by the way. But amen to that, especially with the student loan thing going on. Whatever. Never mind. Okay, so let's go on. Um, our loans are all paid off, by the way, so I don't have any whatever. Get back into the spirit. Then. Okay, back. Okay. And, um, but in my day, when I was getting my bachelor's degree, that was before computers were really, you know, so you couldn't log online, none of this. So when you took a test, and we had a really hard professor, his name was Professor Arneson, God bless him, he's with Jesus right now, but he was really hard. Everybody knew it. And we had to study really hard for his test. I mean, really. He took, he took information out of footnotes and put it on the test. I mean, really? Really, Brother Arneson? So, so we would take this test. Of course, I was 18 at the time. Not super responsible. I know that's hard to believe because I'm so responsible now. But anyway, I wasn't all that responsible, so I did study, but I didn't study super hard, you know, like I should have. And um, so we would take the test, and then he would post the results by his door. And then you would look, and you would have an ID number. How many of you went to school like this? I don't know. You know, you'd have your ID number, and then you would look at your ID number, and then they would post your grade. So we would hear, 
The grades have been posted. The grades have been posted. So all the students, because it was a hard test, you know. So we'd run down there, and all of us would get up in front of there, look at our test score. And we would start hearing people say, I got a 59. I got a 48. I got a 13. I got a 23. It was a hard test. Maybe you get some sort of like really nerdy person says, I got an 89, you know, you'd be all, yeah, right. But, but we all kind of were flunking the test because it was really hard. And then we started to jockey our position. Well, I got a 59. Well, I got a 43. Well, 59 is better than 43. Is it when you're flunking? Isn't it an F? I mean, it's not better. You know why? Because you flunked the test. You flunked the test. And the truth is, some of us got a 59. Some of us got a 23 in our righteousness. Some of us got a 43. But you all flunked the test. You all did. Every person on this earth flunked the test. And Jesus came to to cause us to have 100% on the test because he didn't flunk the test. Come on, you'll remember that one anyway. Romans 3.10, none is righteous. No, not one. Isaiah 64.6, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. There's not one of us that are righteous. And when we are living, when we are not living in Christ's righteousness, but in our own goodness, we are deceived. Let me just really lay heavy on this because so many believers shift into their own righteousness or their own goodness. And what happens is they start to bear a very heavy burden. They start to live in a way where they feel condemned because they've shifted from his righteousness to their own righteousness. Now, the enemy doesn't want you to even think you need Christ's righteousness. So there's a whole thing out there, a whole philosophy, a whole implementation from the enemy and the world's philosophies that say there is no sin. There is no sin. You are not a sinner. Erasing the concept of sin because the concept of sin produces guilt and shame. And guilt and shame is harmful to you, harmful to your mentality, harmful to your emotions, harmful to your mental health. This is a very prevalent philosophy. There is a problem with this, though, because no matter how much you bury your unrighteousness and sin, it's still there. So you can try to wish it away, believe it's not there, whatever, but it still starts coming up in a lot of ways in our lives. The enemy wants people, humans, to believe they do not need sins forgiven. Okay? He wants humans to believe there is no sin, therefore sins do not need to be forgiven because there's nothing to forgive. It's really important. Romans 3, this is very prevalent. 
Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. So the method of the enemy is to repackage darkness or sin as light, freedom, and even moral righteousness. See, this is from the enemy. This is one of the greatest dangers of the philosophies of the world because if there's no sin and conviction of sin, there's no recognition of need for forgiveness. Oh, it's going to get quiet. The admission of sin. I have to admit that I have sinned. See, the world wants us to repackage our sin. Repackage it. This is who I am. It's even light. It's even goodness. There's just a problem with that. If we don't recognize our sin, we can't receive what he did here. That's the problem. See, so the enemy wants us to not see our need for the cross. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, see, there is a phrase here that is conditional. I'm being honest with you. I'm just preaching the word. The Lord just told me two things. I have a very simple assignment as your pastor. Preach my word and love people. That's it. Preach my word and love people with agape love, unconditional love. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And therefore, what we get out of it is we're going to get his righteousness. He's going to exchange our unrighteousness, our filthy rags, our inability, our score of 23, 49, 59, 13%. He's going to exchange it for 100% if we confess our sins. And the enemy wants to block it. He's blocking the punt. See, he doesn't want you to score on that, all you sports lovers. He doesn't want you to score. See, we have the need for his righteousness. And actually to be a healthy individual created by God. Last time I was here, it's not last week, but when we were here a couple weeks ago, it was right after the children's baptism of the Holy Spirit retreat. Boy, was that a great weekend. Whew. Boy, did the enemy get a black eye on that one. Children, humans were made to be in the presence of God. That is your habitat. The most healthy place for you to be. The way he created humanity was to dwell in his presence. That's where they would flourish the most. That's where they would be rooted and grounded in life, and life abundantly was in his presence. That's why I love teaching the children, you're made for the center of his love. Not the fringe. Not wait till you're an adult. You're made for the center of his love. We're made to be in his presence. We're made for relationship with him. Sin broke that off. Sin severed that. Sin convinced 
or Eve was convinced that she could be in abundant place, flourish in life without God. Isn't that the same lie that's still there today? You can flourish, and people are trying to do that. That is the mission of humanity, many. I can flourish without the presence of God. The only problem is it doesn't work. And there's disease and mental illness and relationship breakdown and go on and on and on. And therefore, we need the righteousness of God. That's why Jesus came and said, I'm going to reestablish you to be in the flow of life and have my righteousness so that you have a relationship that's clean and pure with the Father God who created you. Who created you. The glory of that. See, your identity, according to the scripture in Corinthians, your identity is the righteousness of God. It's not separate from who you are. It's not something that you merely decide every day. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. When you become a believer, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it doesn't say, well, some of you are. But I know about some of you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. I don't know if you remember Mr. Rogers. How many of you did do Mr. Rogers? For some of us old folk. That's why I don't know if he was on PBS, whatever he was on, but he was PBS, yeah. I'm still a PBS fan in many ways. But Mr. Rogers, he was actually a Presbyterian minister. I don't know if you know him. For those of you in the younger generation that never heard of Mr. Rogers, um, look him up. And uh, he's a good guy. Started kind of the, one of the first, like, children's shows on television. And so he was highly respected by Christians, non-Christians, our culture, the U.S. culture. Highly respected for being such a gentle person, for being such a kind person, for being such a loving person, for loving children. Never had scandals and all of those kinds of things, you know, that we see happen so many times. Well, in one of his last interviews, he was asked the one thing he would tell parents. And this is what he said. Remember what it was like when you were a child. Remember how you struggled and what you needed. This will help you have compassion and understanding of children. And I thought to myself how we can relate this. Let me break this down. What does that have to do with the righteousness of God? Because, you know, you say, well, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. But yet, why do I have, make these why do I sometimes sin? Why do I have these, these problems? Why do I still stumble and fall? Why do I have these things in my life? If I am the righteousness of God, why is it that I'm not perfect in how I walk out my life? Anybody have that question? The fact is this, and I've talked about this many times. We have been given the righteousness of God, but we are also in process, right? We are in the transforming process. Just like father, mother, those of you that have had children, those of you that are spiritual parents to people, you look at that baby, and that baby has everything they need. But they're going to have to learn to crawl. They're going to stumble when they learn how to walk. They're going to learn all these things, but within them they have everything that they need. 
And God says, in your spiritual birth, I have given to you everything you need. I have given to you the power of the righteousness of Christ. But you will have times when you're going to stumble. As you walk out your journey, you're going to grow into maturity because you are working out your salvation as a new creation. Just like a baby, you don't expect the baby to walk on, um, graduate with a PhD. Now, I know Nick and Rebecca, with their new baby, believe that he will have a PhD. If Rebecca has anything to do with it, I'm sure that's the case. And she knows as a mama that that baby has everything in him to have that. But she's not yet requiring him to go to graduate school. Because there's other things he's going to learn along the way. And in the same way, you have a good, good father that says, I have given to you. You are my righteousness now. There is everything that you need in you to flourish, to conquer, to be victorious, to be everything that I created you to be. It's already in you because I put Christ's righteousness in you. Let me just speak to those of us that have been in the faith a long time and hopefully are mature. Because scripture says this. Let us be gentle and patient with others around us who are learning. Who come and they're learning and we all have our stuff and we're learning about the empowerment of Christ in our lives. And we will stumble. We will make mistakes. We will sin. But in the midst of that, you have a father, and hopefully you have brothers and sisters around you saying, you can do this, not in your own strength, not in your own power. If you shift to your own power, like some of these cars, you know, that are electronic and gas, you know what I'm talking about, and they don't have enough of one or the other. Maybe they don't get charged enough in the electronic. Maybe our uh, governor said you can't charge your car because we're doing brownouts, whatever it may be. And you're trying to drive and you're trying and you shift back to the more powerless place, which is your own righteousness. You cannot move forward. I want to encourage you to be gentle. The manifestation of true maturity spiritually is gentleness with others growing in the Lord. Your identity is his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. If anyone is in Christ, who? Anyone. Not just certain people. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation in every way of their lives. You go down to verse 21. That's verse 17. You go down to verse 21. That's where scripture says, now you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You being a new creation is directly connected to being the righteousness of God in Christ in every area of your life. You entirely belong to the Lord. Righteousness. As a believer, if you suffer with condemnation in any area of your life, you're trying to be an overcomer in your own righteousness. 
as a believer, if you struggle with condemnation in any area of your life, you are trying to do it in your own righteousness. And you can't do it. See, righteousness, God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness is a weapon in our lives. Scripture speaks of it. Paul speaks of it as being a spiritual weapon. And it's central to the armor of God. This is what he says, Ephesians 6.14. See, this is why the enemy does not want you to embrace the knowledge of being the righteousness of God in Christ. Because it's a weapon against the enemy. Ephesians 6.14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. See, the, the righteousness of God is a weapon against the enemy. And I'll, let me just say, and he speaks of this, Paul speaks of this in other areas of Scripture. He speaks about it in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, with weapons of righteousness in the hand and in the left, in the right hand and in the left. So righteousness is a weapon. So the enemy wants you to think you're not righteous so that you don't see the weapon at your disposal against him. In Isaiah 59, 17, he says this. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Righteousness. Now, let me say, Paul, some of you know, have read the book that I have uh, recommended. It's a book called uh, Dress to Kill. And it's about um, the... Uh, the armor of God, such a powerful book. And some of this comes from that. Speaks about the breastplate of righteousness. I want to talk about that a little bit. Because it was a very, it was the most beautiful part of the armor of a Roman soldier. It was shiny. It glistened. It was glamorous. And people noticed it first. It went all from the, the neck way down to the knees and the front and the back. It was the heaviest part of the, the um, armor. It weighed uh, at least. 40 pounds and when they walked it had great luster it shined the light would catch it as they walked and the more that they wore their armor it would shine even brighter it had a shimmering like explosion if you had a whole arm army wearing this breastplate it would blind the enemy it would blind the enemy the more the soldier wore their breastplate, the rubbing, because it was like scales on them, the rubbing would create even more shine. The more you wear your righteousness, the righteousness of God, the shining, blinding power it has against the enemy. So it was a weapon in an offensive way. It was a weapon against the enemy in an offensive way because it shined and blinded the enemy. So the enemy doesn't want you to wear it. It's also a weapon in a defensive way because it protected their heart. It protected a very uh, important part of them. It protected the place where their heart is, their place of confidence. See, the thing is this. The righteousness of God gives us confidence because we know it's not in our own power. We know that it's from God. It's not about us. It's about what he did, and I wear what he did, and therefore I can be confident because he did it. It protected his heart. 
you know, our confidence has to do with our identity, and our identity has to do with how we think about ourselves. You know, I always go there. Always go back to all those, those same old scriptures. How we think has to do with our confidence. So how do you think about yourself? Because the seal of God's righteousness is over our mind. Because when scripture speaks about our heart, it is a meeting place of mind, of emotions, thoughts, feelings. It's a gathering point of that. So you have the righteousness of God covering or protecting the meeting place where your faith is exerted. You know, what? how we think and whether we have the seal of his righteousness on our mind is very significant. Scripture speaks. 1 Peter 1.3 says this. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. What? What does that mean? That means that girding up was a term that Peter is using about an athlete. An athlete that's going to run, the Greek runner. In order for him to better run, a faster run, he would have to tuck his tunic underneath his belt. And cause him so that the tunic would not get in the way of his running. It would not cause him to trip and fall. And so what Peter is saying is, gather up the loose ends of your mind. Oh, come on. Some of you say, go, I can get my ice cream now. Gather up the loose ends of your mind. Pull them, tuck them under your belt. What belt? The belt of truth. I have, you can get your thoughts going in every other way. I'm on the cliff. I'm on the cliff of Bryce Canyon. And on that cliff, my mind is going a hundred million places. And all of a sudden, it's like, Lynn, get a hold of it. (laughs) Tuck those thoughts underneath the truth. The truth is, God is with you. He's ordered your steps. If you're going to fall, somehow it's going to be a great testimony. Just kidding. Some of us, we get our thoughts everywhere. And the Lord is saying, be sober-minded. See, somebody that's not sober, they stumbling around. They're every which way. They don't walk in a straight path because their thought, their their mind is everywhere. It is not focused. And the Lord is saying, gather up the loose end of your mind. Tuck it under the truth that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. The belt of truth held together the breastplate of righteousness. Why do you think Pastor David pound away, be in the word, be in the word, be in the word? Because the word of God is what combats the word of the world. 
and it sustains the truth, the righteousness of God. I am the right, no matter what's going on. I'm going to prepare my mind emotionally, intellectually for battle. Do you prepare your mind for battle? Do you prepare yourself for battle? This is what Peter is saying. Come on, gird up the loins of your mind. Get that stuff tucked under. Get it under the truth of God. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Yes. Now, how do we do that? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take what? Every thought captive. I take all those loose thoughts, all those things that are going to try to trip me up when I'm running the race. And I tuck them under the truth of God. I take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I take captive every thought. See, the, the truth is this. We participate through our obedience. He did the work. We receive it. Now, we obey. We can't be reaching for the other stuff anymore. Self-righteousness, the spirit of fear. I'm reaching for the other stuff. Some of us, those things, self-righteousness, because we've learned I got to make it happen myself. Spirit of fear, very stimulated, very cultivated. We reach for the things, and some of those things, what I like to call are familiar spirits. We almost find it soothing to us. When the Lord is saying, I'm teaching you a new way so that you walk in overcoming victorious power as a righteousness of God in Christ. You can't be reaching for that anymore because it exhausts you and it trips you up. And the enemy is counting on that because he doesn't want the righteousness of God in your life to shine, to blind him, to confuse him. Woo! Let us not be drunk with the things of this world, with the thoughts of this world, with the philosophies of this world. If we're going into battle, just like Peter says, go in sober, baby. Go in sober-minded. We don't go into battle drunk with the things of this world. You go in sober-minded, having your thoughts and emotions submitted to Christ so that you are prepared for battle. You say, how do I do that? You do it through the Holy Spirit. You don't do it in yourself. You know, one thing, while I was on a cliff, I should write a book, Things I Learned on a Cliff. <laughs> be a very big book is that the enemy to joy I learned this because I was facing this the enemy to joy is fear fear so the enemy wants you to be a fearful person a foreboding person so that you have no joy in his presence is fullness of joy the kingdom of God is about joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So he's planning on you to battle without joy so that you are exhausted. So you technically obey, but you lack joy. And it's no fun to battle without joy. And yet God's intention for you is for him to, have, for him to give you his joy in the journey. 
you know, you all know this, but I was brought up in the church world all my life. And I found so many believers lack joy. They're not excited about their journey. They're not anticipatory about what God wants to do. It was so sad. I came to the place, Lord, is this what it's about? Because it's a bummer. And God says, that's not the truth. That's not the way it is. The Lord has a joy. The most abundant life, the most adventurous life, the most powerful life, the most victorious life is with him. Being in the center of his will, the center of his love, and walking in that with such powerful, and guess what? Not having to do it in your own power, but you do it through his righteousness. You must know and walk like you are righteous in God. You are the righteousness of Christ. Because that is your weapon against the enemy. My identity is the righteousness of God in Christ. And I've listened to people as a pastor talk defeat. Talk defeat. And when you're talking defeat, you really are exposing that you are trying to do it in yourself. You are exposing that you're using your own righteousness to try to win the battle. And the Lord is saying, I never intended for you to use your own righteousness to defeat the enemy or to win the battle. I have given to you Christ's righteousness to win the battle. So he handed it to you. Jesus gave it to you. It is a gift from Jesus, his righteousness. So what's your mindset? Is your mindset that you are the righteousness of God in Christ? Is your mindset condemnation? Is your mindset your own effort? Some believers almost have the view, I'm kind of exposing some of the lies that the enemy, that I try first in myself, and then when that doesn't work, I go to plan B, the righteousness of God. I go, so I try it in myself, and a boy, did I fail, and I'm so discouraged because my own righteousness failed. And so I guess I have to go to second best, the righteousness of Christ. I'm being honest with you. That's the way we talk sometimes. That's the way we think sometimes. Rather than saying, I go to the righteousness of Christ. I know I can't do it in myself. I am default. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it, but I know that I now am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am a new creation in every area of my life. And let me just say this, and for those of you online listening, don't say you're just a sinner saved by grace. I don't like that term because it's not true. I'm just a sinner. You're no longer that. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are a new creation. Yes, you were a sinner. You were that. But that's not what the scripture says about you now. And if you think all I am is some sort of raggedy sinner trying to make it through this world, you have greatly depleted the cross of power in your life. The enemy wants you to think that way. 
So he says, yeah, you're just a sinner. And guess what? Sin still has power over you. But the truth is, he defeated the power of sin over you. He canceled it. And you don't have to walk that way anymore. They say, well, what if I do sin? Well, we will. Like I said, as a child learns, we're going to stumble. We're going to learn. We're going to graduate. That's part because God is so good. He's so gracious. He's so faithful. It doesn't make you any less the righteousness of God in Christ. Quit letting the enemy use your failures, even as a believer, to convince you that you are not the righteousness of God in Christ. I want to say that again. Because some people leave the church, leave coming and gathering together because they're ashamed of where they're at in their journey. Because the enemy has convinced them that they've got to somehow clean up their life and do it in themselves to get permission to come back. And that's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That is your identity. Rebecca, come on up here. Woo! You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. When you when you embrace, when you say, Lord, every day I'm going to get up and I am going to walk as the righteousness of God in Christ, not based upon how I feel, not based upon some sort of success rate that I had in, in life or in the day or whatever, but uh, it's who I am. You will begin to walk in greater power. I am able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Remember, I talked about the breastplate, protecting the heart, protecting your faith, being a place, your heart being the place of confidence. It says this, 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Don't you love this? Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ, now we approach him. We can approach him. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to clean my clothes. I don't have to, because I have been clothed in his righteousness. This is a confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I love his righteousness. Now I can have confidence every day, no matter how I feel, no matter what battle that's raging, no matter what situation's going on, I have confidence. And in that confidence, guess what I get to do? I can approach God and I can ask of him. As we are praying today for miracles, as we are praying today, I felt the favor of God over his children today. I just felt such favor. I just felt like, like the Lord saying, come on, whatever you want. You know what? My grandkids were here just a couple weeks ago for the Holy Spirit baptism retreat. One thing that I do with them is this. When it's time for birthdays, I sit down with them on Amazon, and I give them some money, and I say, now you just buy whatever you want. They love it. They love it. So they were doing that, and little Clive, now there was two June birthdays, so we did that. Now little Clive, the fifth, the fifth one, the smallest one, 
His birthday's not till August. But he started hovering and said, Grandma, I like that. Grandma, I like that. Grandma, I like that. And I said, okay, Clive, do you want to shop for your birthday too? He's all, yes. Okay, come on. Let's shop for your birthday, Clive. Let's shop for your birthday. Because Clive has favor with Grandma. <laughs> he kisses my hand. He loves on me. But even if he didn't, he still has favor with Grandma. You have favor with your father. You can boldly approach him. You are his DNA. You have his DNA. You have the righteousness of God in Christ. That's who you are. That's your identity. That's your DNA. Why? Because of this. Because of communion. Because of Jesus. Let me read one last scripture to you. And then ushers, come on up. Romans 5, 17 says this. For if, I love the scripture, I want you to get it. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Okay, so talking about Adam. Sin came and death reigned. How much more? And, and you know what? The sin of Adam and Eve affected every human being through every generation. The sin affected. The power of that sin affected. But this is what I love. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of his righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How much more is the impact of his righteousness than the impact of the sin of Adam and Eve? Okay, you don't not get it because if I was you, I'd be up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all say, oh, the world's evil place. There's sin. Look at all this sin. Look at this disease. Look at all this terrible stuff. That's the impact of the sin of Adam and Eve. But do you see the impact of the righteousness of Jesus? Do you see his impact? Because according to this scripture, how much more? You think that was impactful? How much more? It's Christ's work in our lives. In other words, sin don't need to reign over you anymore because his work was way more powerful than the power of sin over your life. Come on up here. We're going to have communion, Pastor David. Let's do that. thing I love about communion is it's a fresh start you know as the ushers pass it out just hold your uh, your cup there's a wafer on the bottom and as a some grape juice in the top if you want to just hold that we'll participate together but it's interesting because 
Scripture tells us, the Bible tells us that when we take communion, we should examine ourselves. And the reason we examine ourselves is to see if there's anything out of alignment. You know? We drove, like, what, 22,000 miles in the last week? 2,200 miles. It felt like 20, because I did all the driving. But I got to forgive you before communion, okay. (laughs) But if you ever, we were driving on this thing called the Hogsback through Utah, and it was a precipice on the top of a mountain. It was a a little road, and, and we're driving with our camper, and it's blowing, the wind's blowing. And I look in my rearview mirror and I see all these little tiny sports cars coming up the coming up the road. They were these precious young men from Lancaster, California, called the Canyon Cruisers. And I'm doing 40, and they're doing 70. You know. And I was white knuckled because, as you look to the left, there's 10, maybe 15 feet of grass, rock, and then it drops down. 2,000 feet. You look to the other side and you see the same thing. And I've got wind blowing and cars going by me like bats out of Hades. And I had to do some real good praying. You examine yourself when you're in situations like that. And my wife's got, move to the left, move to the left. I'm like, I'm not moving to the left, you move to the right. <laughs> you know? But you examine yourself when you take communion because you got to look at the consequences if you don't. And if you're living a life where you're depending upon yourself, you're going to come up short. That's never been God's plan for you, you know? And, and that's where we go back to Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, I know the plan the Lord has for you, not to harm you. And a lot of people think that God's, God's this ultimate killjoy up there just waiting to make your life miserable, when in the reality, he wants to make you to have joy and life more abundantly. So... As we get ready to take communion, I just want you to look at your heart and say, Lord, is there anything, any precipice I'm about to fall off because I'm not doing things the way you want me to? This isn't about how good I compare to Brian or David or Rebecca or Danny. It's how do you compare with the Lord? And if there's a shortcoming, then we're going to make it right in just a minute. Pastor Lynn shared the scripture that said, if, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from some of your sin, right? Is that what it says? No, it says all of your sin. So if there's anything between you and the Lord that's not right right now, all you have to do is confess it to him. You don't have to go beat yourself or you don't have to go do some other things. All you have to do is confess it. And then I love what Scripture says. He is faithful and just to forgive you from all of those things. So, Lord, right now, before we even consider taking communion, we ask that you look at our hearts, look at our lives. If there's anything in our lives, Lord, that is not in right alignment with you, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, 
we give you permission to come in and to sweep out those things that are not healthy for us, those things that have put distance between us and you. And Lord, I pray that, Father, you would help us to be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. Help us to live a life, as Scripture says, that is a life of abundance, a life of favor, a life of walking in your presence every day, a life of not having to depend upon ourselves, but casting every care we have on you because you care for us. Not having to do it in our own righteousness because God, your word tells us, and we know by experience that our righteousness is like a filthy rag. So Lord, we confess it to you and we know this, that you are faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all of those things. And I pray that, Lord, you help each and every one of us to love you more each and every day. I pray that we could fall back in love with you again. So we know that no matter what comes our way, you're with us and you're for us. In Christ's name we ask. You take your cup and turn it upside down. There's a little pull tab you can pull off and there's a piece of bread in there. Scripture says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, take, eat, this is my body which was given for you. We believe this emblem, this symbol represents the body of Christ. So when we're partaking it, we're partaking of the body of Christ. For some of us, it's reinforcing our righteousness. For others, it's putting on our righteousness. So Lord, we bless this wafer. We bless it, and we ask that, Lord, as we partake it, Lord, we would not forget what you've done for us on the cross, that your body was broken and your blood was shed, and, Lord, you did it because you loved us. If there was no one else on this planet, you'd do it for this just one of us. And, Lord, I thank you that you've done it for us. Shall we partake of the bread? First Corinthians tells us that when he had that last supper, he, he took the cup. And I love this part because he said, this cup represents the new covenant. So if you were under an old covenant where you're doing it yourself, guess what? You're under a new one where he's doing it, you're doing it for him now. And I love it because his blood was shed so that you and I didn't have to shed our own. Think about it. Someone took the toll for your speeding ticket. Someone paid the price for your mistake. Talk about someone that loves you, you know? He took all of it because of his love for you. So, Father, we thank you for this cup and everything it represents. And we ask and pray, Lord, that you would bless it to each and every one of our bodies. Lord, we make a new commitment to you today to live as men and women of your righteousness. Help us to see the righteousness of Christ that lives in us and help us to walk in it every day because that is what makes us strong. That is our victory. The victory that you did when you died on the cross and shed your blood for us. Shall we partake?
Lord, we thank you for the work on the cross. Thank you what you've done for us. And we bless it in Christ's name. Pastor Rebecca, lead us in worship. Set table that you prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. Let's all stand. It's your body and your blood you shed for me. This is how I find my battles. And I believe. And I believe you've overcome, and I will lift my song of praise for all you've done. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. Surely your goodness and your mercy follow me. So my weapons, so my weapons are praise and thanksgiving. This is how I find my battle. Come on, sing it out. I believe. And I believe you've overcome it. I will lift my soul. But I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Jesus, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find This is how, this is how I fight my battles, this is how I fight my battles, this is how I fight my battles, this is how my victory, my victory in Jesus' name. Oh, my victories in Jesus' name. 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 My victories in Jesus
This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how. This is 